This Thacker Slate podcast is hosted by Connie Thacker and Allison Slate, two experienced attorneys who believe honesty, transparency, and knowledge are key to achieving the best legal outcomes. A variety of topics, particularly those related to sensitive family law matters, are candidly covered by Connie and Allison in a way that's refreshing, timely, and practical for listeners. Welcome to the Thacker Slate podcast. Uh, we are here today with uh, Michelle Gallagher, who is joining us remotely, and we're going to talk about a topic that we get a lot of calls on here at the firm, and that is hidden assets. We have um, non-owner spouses who call us and insist that there's money in the mattress, there's money uh, hidden in the safe somewhere, there's cash, uh, and we have to figure out how to go find it. So, um, Michelle uh, is not part of our law firm. She's an expert in business valuation and forensics that we use sometimes on our cases, and sometimes she's opposing to us. So uh, there's no relationship with our firm and Michelle, but we knew that she would be great to answer some of our questions for some of our clients and provide you with some details. So Michelle is a Michigan certified public accountant. She is accredited in business valuation, which is a very important designation to have for doing business valuations. And she's also certified in financial forensics, which is known as the CFF designation. So uh, welcome, Michelle. How are you? Great. Thank you for having me. Well, we're uh, delighted to have you here with us today. And we wanted to talk a little bit about hidden assets and forensic um, but let's begin with what is the certification that you have? What does it mean? What do you have to do to get it? And you know, just give our audience some um, uh, information as to the certification. Sure. So the CFS that you mentioned, Certified in Financial Forensics, it's a certification through the AICPA. So it is a CPA foundational level certification, which means we also have not only the forensic expertise, but we have some of that foundational CPA expertise as well. So a lot of a good expert is having a lot of knowledge on a lot of different things. And in the financial area, having that CPA along with the financial forensic designation is extremely helpful as an expert. When do we, as lawyers, when should we get uh, a forensic person involved and are they different than a business valuator or one in the same? Or how does that work out for the client's information? So they are different for sure. You will definitely find some business valuation individuals who are not forensic. Now we do a, a certain level of forensic work in valuations, looking for addbacks and things, but the, the forensics is a little deeper and a little more detailed little different expertise behind it. Oftentimes, so that's kind of the difference, but when you need a forensic is when your client is asking you the things that you just mentioned. You know, I, I know there's extra money or, you know, my spouse always has $10,000 of cash in his left boot. I don't know where he gets it all the time, but we're, we have cash everywhere. We pay everything in cash. Um, our spending is so much higher than what we report on our tax return. So a lot of times, even if it's the non-business owner, they know. I mean, they just know there's more there than, than what's being reported. And when they come to you and start telling you those things, 
that's when you'd want to come to a forensic accountant and start asking some of those questions and, and having us start taking a look at what might be there. Yeah, it's like a lifestyle check, right? I mean, yes. they come to you and they're uh, having all the designer clothing and taking great vacations and doing wonderful stuff and driving expensive cars, and then they show a loss on their tax return, right? So I guess right. that, I guess that's an indicator. What was that one that we had? They had $9,000 of income, according to their tax return, but had like eight houses, yeah. brand new hot tub. yeah. 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 They owned a car wash. There's where the cash comes yeah, in. Yeah, little cash businesses that it's hard to find the cash because the cash is coming in and the cash is going out. And yeah, we had a couple cases like that this year. We had another one where it's sort of the same thing and there was a huge lifestyle difference between that and the negative $36,000 that appeared on the tax return. Um <laughs> But you know, we kept we kept talking about that because we represented the business owners. So yeah, you got to do what you got to do. So, um, what are some of the procedures? I mean, what do you do once you get retained as a forensic expert? What do you want? What do you look at? Uh, what can the clients expect? Well, we like to start with the client who is who may have direct information right away. You know, there's no sense in us trying to take a huge amount of data to, and try and boil it down when we can start getting some hints, some tips, just general information right from the underlying client. One thing we typically ask for right away is personal relationships. We like to get names of everybody we can because we want to be looking for those in general ledgers, W-2s, payroll records. You know, a lot of times people will put a number of family members on payroll. They'll put their paramour on pay more, uh, payroll. Um, so we like to get the names of the people. And then the other thing we like to do right from the beginning is a timeline. Because ultimately, once we get financial records and we start lining up the financial history, oftentimes they fall right in line with a timeline of when the relationship of the parties started declining. So we like to interview your client and get timeline, personal relationships, and then we start developing our document request list. And typical document request list, I assume it's like bank accounts and credit card statements and all those kinds of things. Um, where do you find often uh, that people try to hide assets? I mean, what kind of things have you seen in the past uh, where business owners or even just, you know, regular people are trying to hide money? Well, remarkably, it's not overseas. Hmm. You know, a lot of people talk about, oh, that might, it must be in these foreign accounts that we have no idea where they are. Right. They've transferred it, it all to Switzerland. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it does happen. Don't get me wrong. But most people either aren't that sophisticated or don't have the time to set up that level of a hidden asset scheme. So most of the time it's not in foreign operations or foreign businesses, foreign accounts. It's usually right under your nose mm -hmm. and it's just a matter of finding it. So we typically, you know, a lot of it can be in cash and finding the cash is definitely difficult to find. Uh, a, a lot of times we see it in overpayments and prepaids. So we see parties prepaying credit cards. I know, you know it's kind of an odd concept, but throwing 
20 grand over to your American Express card and running a credit balance. Mm. Not hard to do. Right. Tax payments, estimated taxes. I've seen multiple times. I recently had a case there. It turned out there was a, over $100,000 in a 1040 personal income tax overpayment that was purposefully overpaid. And nobody asked for the tax return, the final tax return, because it was leading right up to extension time. Parties got divorced. The tax return was filed and there was a hundred grand sitting there we found out later. So, Yeah, you really have to look at all those documents really carefully and have somebody who does that. One of the other things I saw in your material was um, um, gift cards. Tell us a little bit about what you've seen with gift cards. That was an interesting one. Yeah, so... Gift cards came, that bullet point in the presentation came from an actual case that I had where the party, the business owner, went and bought thousands and thousands of dollars of gift cards all over. I mean, whether it was even just straight up credit card gift cards, Meyer, wherever, just a pile of gift cards, thousands of dollars, and just ran it through the business and expensed them off in various categories in their in their books, and it and then the party, of course, has these thousands of gift cards they can use to go buy stuff. Right, you know, they just pile them up in their safe or something at home, and as they needed to grocery shop or spend money on a credit card, they would just use the gift cards up. Yeah, and I guess if you're contemplating the divorce and you're trying to move some money around, that's a good place to move it. I guess another uh, place would be to make a payment to a, a third party or transfer something to a third party well in advance of filing for the divorce. Yeah, so we see we we see a lot of straw men. We call it straw man activity, where you find a friend, a family member, a paramour. <laughs> I mean, anybody. Uh, unrelated that might be able to fly under the radar from payroll records, whatever it is, and large sums of money, even travel, giving them cash, start siphoning off cash early on and have them hold the cash for you. We've seen real estate transfers. Yeah, that's what I would think you would see. A lot of real estate transfers mm-hmm. going to straw men. And, you know, I'm not, not again, it's it's not easy to find this stuff, but you start getting, you know, you start with all the names of people and you just go back to that timeline and when things first started potentially happening. And the records typically don't lie. Right. It is a total investigation. But one of the other interesting points that you had, and uh, we'll start to wrap it up with this, was um, professionals that use precious metals. I'd never thought about that. So give us some insight on that one. <laughs> Number one, dentists. Yeah, that's what you said. I read that. Yeah, gold fillings. So, so how do they hide? How do they do it? How do they hide this stuff? They get, they just get the gold in for allegedly for the fillings, and they're not using the that for the fillings. Exactly. Throw it in the safe. <laughs> oh gosh, come on, Michelle. Go oh, down and have it melted down at the old. You know, there's there's people who buy gold all day long at all over town. I would have to say that was one of the strangest ones I had heard. Do you have any, anything anything odder than the precious metal people? Have you, have you seen anything? And the gift cards. I thought the gift cards was good too. Yeah. Well, a, another one I, I didn't mention yet, but another one is cutting a check to whomever 
maybe yourself, an unknown, and you're just making up a check and never cashed, never having it cashed. So at year end, your bank balance is low and you're sitting there with, say, a $100,000 check you wrote out and you expensed it in various categories, whatever it is. So we start looking at the bank reconciliation. So we also, every year end or every valuation date or every forensic, we ask for bank reconciliations to see what outstanding checks are there. Because a lot of people will just write random checks and never cash them. Wow. Yeah. You've got some interesting stories. So um, what, what's like the cost if, if our clients want to know how much it's going to cost? Because, you know, a lot of them would want to do forensic accounting, but oftentimes in the divorce world, uh, cost is a prohibiting factor. What's something like that cost? Or do you do, you do it on a flat fee? Do you do it by an hour? How does, it, how does that work? So we, we do it by the hours. And this is the hardest part of the forensic work. I, I reference it oftentimes to peeling the onion. So it seems like every time we peel away a layer, there's more we find and more we find. And you just you do have to decide what rabbit holes you want to go down because some of them will be empty and some of them will lead to more exciting information. So the way I like to do the fees with, with my clients is do it in a staged approach where I like to just sort of scratch the surface first and get a comfortable dollar amount from the client. Like, you know, what are you willing to spend to just put your mind at ease or, you know, just to see if there's something there. So maybe we, you know, and so I let the client and the attorney drive that discussion. So sometimes people will say, all right, we will throw five grand at this and see what you can find. And then we get with you when we're at hovering that five grand level and say, all right, here we are. Here's what we found. Do you want to go deeper? Are you feeling good about what we found? Are you happy? Or do you want us to go another five? Or do you want to go 10? I mean, we've had cases in the $100,000 range on a, on a forensic because you do dig and dig and dig and it keeps opening up more and more questions. Yeah, it's kind of like anything really in life. If if they're doing it in one area, chances are they're doing it somewhere else too. And you have to go try to find all those rabbit holes as you indicated. So yeah. Exactly. Well, I wanted to thank you on behalf of uh, Thacker Slate for joining us today. We certainly appreciate your uh, insight and I'm sure that our clients will uh, find this very helpful. If you uh, are out there listening to this and you think that you need some assistance with forensic accounting, please feel free to uh, give us a call. Uh, we do uh, specialize in family law matters and particularly with uh, hidden assets and business valuations. So thank you, Michelle, for joining us and we appreciate you. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Thacker Slate podcast. If you have additional questions, do not hesitate to contact us at 616-888-3810 or visit our website, thackerslate.com, for additional information. 